football slate in front of us. Big-time college slate with really two main games Saturday. NFL back on Sunday. It is a great time to be alive and a great time to be tuning into the show right now on CBS Sports Radio. So welcome. Thank you for making us a part of your weekend right here or else but the Hank and Night Show on CBS Sports Radio. Okay, before we look ahead to the weekend, I do want to take a few minutes to look back at what we saw on Thursday night. Chiefs, right, lose to the Lions 21-20 at home in a game that everyone's talking about that was played without the two or second and third, I should say, best players on Kansas City's roster, Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones. Chris Jones is the man that got a lot of attention because he's been holding out all training camp in hopes of getting a brand new deal. And he even uh, was in the building on Thursday night, and the thought was, hey, he's not going to play, but the Chiefs defense is not very good, without, especially now without him on the field. Chiefs defense should stink. That should, you know, get Chris the leverage he needs to get the money he's looking for and have the Chiefs pay up, and he should get the money he wants. I thought Chris Jones was a big loser on Thursday night in the sense that his leverage went down. I don't think Thursday was a good night for Chris Jones whatsoever. Because now I think coming out of Thursday's game, it's harder, not easier. It's harder for the Chiefs to justify giving Chris Jones a massive deal. You want to know why? Had nothing to do with what we saw defensively. Had everything to do on the offensive side of the ball. The Chiefs got bigger fish to fry right now than giving Chris Jones a contract extension. They got to worry about finding a succession plan for Travis Kelsey. They got to worry about making sure what they saw on Thursday night is not going to be a season's worth of play for Patrick Mahomes in terms of who he's throwing the ball to. Like that's the bigger priority now for Kansas City is finding either a bona fide receiver or tight end that could step in Travis Kelsey's place and not have uh, what happened, what we saw on Thursday, happen again where the receivers couldn't catch a cold in Antarctica. And you have the Chiefs offense, the highest scoring offense in the league last year, scoring a whopping 20 points. Look, whether it's in the draft next year, well, it's even making a blockbuster trade. Kansas City has to figure out how to get a true number two weapon. They can groom into being a number one weapon soon. Because guess what? You saw life without Travis Kelsey on Thursday night. It ain't pretty. You, What we saw on Thursday night was the one way Patrick Mahomes is actually human. It had nothing to do with him. The only way right now you can slow down Patrick Mahomes Stop him from lighting up the scoreboard and not make him the best quarterback in the NFL is by having his receivers drop ball after ball. Have no one get open. Give him no options. And on top of the poor passing performance, again, because no Chiefs receiver can catch a ball on Thursday night, Mahomes is also the leading rusher. He was the leading rusher out of necessity because, again, he's holding on to the ball. No one's getting free. And he's nowhere to go but run. Pass rushes closing in on him. So what we saw Thursday night was the only real, real way the Chiefs' offense can be stopped is taking Travis Kelsey off the field. That's why, for me, I think that limits the amount of money Kansas City can spend on Chris Jones. Not saying they can't give him a contract extension, 
But in terms of, let's just, I don't know what he's asking for. Let's just say $30 million. Let's just say, for argument's sake, Chris Jones went in there and said, I want $30 million. If you're the Chiefs after Thursday night, now you have to start thinking about spending your money carefully. You don't have a lot of money anyway. You got very little cap space. You got to start thinking about how you're spending your money wisely, not just for this year, but also going forward. For next year, for two years from now, from three years from now, for keeping the Patrick Mahomes window open as long as possible. Part of keeping that Super Bowl window open is by getting a trusted receiver or weapon on offense. Because let's start looking now. It's not too early to say, Travis Kelsey does not have a lot of good years left. A lot of great years left. He's going to be 34 next month. You see, anyone think he's going to be still a prime time, elite, tight end slash wide receiver? That's basically what he is. For another five years? I don't think so. We're talking about, what, two, maybe three, like, elite years left in him? Clock is ticking. And again, what we saw on Thursday night, it's obvious. There is not anyone in the hopper, not anyone on the rise, that as you feel good about, hey, if Travis Kelsey gets hurt seriously or, let's just say, retires or starts to fall off a cliff, you don't feel good right now about anyone stepping in and taking his place. Part of the reason why... The Chiefs were able to trade Tyreek Hill, a top three wide receiver in the NFL, and still win the Super Bowl. It's because they had Kelsey. If you take Kelsey now off this roster, I mean, who's the biggest threat? Marquez Valdez-Scanling? Isaiah Pacheco? Like, we're talking about guys that are journeymen or guys that are nowhere, you know, nowhere near elite at their position. There's no one. There's absolutely no one. And so that's why if you're the Chiefs now and you're a Brett Veach, their general manager, you got to start thinking about a succession plan. Okay, when Travis Kelsey starts to lose the step, when Travis Kelsey ain't Travis Kelsey, who is going to take his role? Who is going to fill the void so that Mahomes still has a trusted number one guy to go to and this offense can keep humming? Because I think it's fair to say, right? Mahomes needs one elite guy. That's all he needs. Two, three, great, tremendous. Right? When they had Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, unstoppable. Take one away, he could still survive. Take both away, you see it happen Thursday night. Even the great quarterbacks need some help. You can only elevate trash so much before you realize, you know what, I got nothing else here. I need someone to really, you know, bail me out. Kadarius Tony ain't that guy. Clearly. Sky Moore ain't that guy. Like, we go down the list here. There's not anyone right now the Chiefs can feel good about going forward. And that has to be your number one priority. Chris Jones, look, is a great player. Chris Jones, he's a great player. And again, you still got to work to try to get a contract extension done with him. But if you're the Chiefs now, you got to work on getting it done on your terms. Because you need that money saved to go find some sort of, again, receiver you can trade for. Trade up for, you know, save draft capital, trade up for in the draft to go get. You need some sort of bona fide backup option here. Because otherwise, like, you look at that second half. Again, it's crazy to see a Kansas City Chiefs offense scoring 20 points in a game. It's crazier to see a stat line from Patrick Mahomes in the second half of that game on Thursday night when he was targeting wide receivers go two for 12 
with an interception. Two of 12. Patrick Mahomes in the second half of a game that was winnable at home. We may never see that again. But that's why if you're the Chiefs, that has to be the option. Or that has to be the number one now priority. Getting someone that Mahomes can rely on. Because look, for all all we saw uh, on Thursday night, the defense facing a, a, a top five offense in the Detroit Lions from last year played well. Played really well. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're a better defense than Chris Jones. That's stupid. That's idiotic and that's false. But the facts are the Chiefs defense allowed two touchdowns and played pretty well against that Lions offense that, again, can light up the scoreboard and can and was a top-five offense in terms of total offense and scoring last year and returned everybody this year. Defense did a good job. They weren't missing Chris Jones. It wasn't obvious they needed Chris Jones. It was obvious they needed to, to get Mahomes' weapon. That was obvious. And again, you look at some of the great tight ends in this game. Tony Gonzalez, Shannon Sharp, Antonio Gates. Great players that played for a long time. We're out of the league, though, by 37-38. Again, you look at Travis Kelsey at 34. Clock is ticking here. You don't have too many prime years left. And you look around. If he goes, it is barren. It is barren. And that's the only way this Chiefs window for a Super Bowl, I'm not going to say closes, at least for a year or two, is is not as open as it should be. You can win a Super Bowl with a bad defense. You can't win a Super Bowl when Mahomes has no one to throw the ball to. No weapon to trust. No one the defense fears. And that's what we saw Thursday night. And that's going to be the uphill climb now for, for Kansas City going forward. Look, Kelsey should be back in a... He might be back as early as week two in Jacksonville. If not, week three. So that's luckily for them, not a long-term injury. And also luckily for Kansas City, Travis Kelsey is the first time he was hurt since his rookie year. So he's been a guy that's been not only elite, but also durable. If that changes for some reason, the Chiefs are actually in trouble. Look, they're not going to drop as many passes as they as they did. Like, that's Andy Reid talked about it. Uh, Patrick Holmes talked about it after the game. Like, they believe Kadarius Tony will bounce back. I believe them. I don't think Tony's going to drop, like, four balls as easily as he did again. But are they better than the Bengals offense? Are they better than potentially the Jaguars offense? The Bills offense? The Dolphins offense? No, they're not. They have multiple weapons. And the Chiefs have Mahomes and right now no one else. So that's why I think if you're Chris Jones, even though you got, I don't say the result you wanted, because I don't think he was actually rooting for them to lose, but you got a result that in theory on the surface should help your leverage. Hey, you played a game, you lost, let me see, you need me. The reality is, though, I think Chris Jones lost leverage on Thursday night. Defense played well in his absence. And now I think if you're the the Chiefs going forward, you are more preoccupied and more focused 
on getting Mahomes weapons than you are filling the void on defense. You are now more worried and concerned about getting, you know, Chris Jones on your dime, on your terms, than acquiescing and, and kind of, you know, caving and paying Chris Jones the money he wants. I don't think Thursday night was a good night for Chris Jones. And nothing to do with him. Had nothing to do even with the defense. Had everything to do with the drops and the struggles on offense when you took away their best weapon outside of Mahomes. A succession plan is needed, and now resources have to be devoted, again, either in free agency, in a trade, or in the draft, to make sure when Travis Kelsey steps away or loses a step, you have someone waiting in the wings, waiting to take over, or should say ready to take over, and elevate this offense going forward. Chiefs don't have that, and they desperately need it. All right. When you do return here, Hickey and I, Ryan Hickey with you right here on CBS Sports Radio. There's a lot of new quarterbacks making their team debuts. Ten new quarterbacks debuting with uh, a brand new team. Look, Aaron Rodgers is the obvious answer in terms of the quarterback that I'm most excited to see uh, play for a new team. But outside of Rodgers, I'll tell you the quarterback that uh, that I'm most excited to see their new debut coming on Sunday. We'll tell you who that quarterback is when we do return. Ryan Hickey here with you. So a lot of quarterbacks making their first time starting debuts Sunday for either new teams or same teams, but again, kind of, you know, they were a spot starter um, for a little bit and and now are the full-time start for the first time. The quarterback I'm most excited to see on Sunday, Sam Howell. I'm really excited to see Sam Howell and how he plays. Now, no, they're playing the Cardinals, so, I mean, really, you know, Going to learn a lot? No. It's like we're going to be learning a lot with, you know, this team that's one of the worst teams in the NFL. But there has been some rave reviews from the commanders about how Sam Howell has played in practice last year. I was commanded the offense, how he's looking so far this year. But also part of the intrigue is not just with Sam Howell, but also with now Eric Bieniemy coming in. And Eric Bieniemy comes in, new OC, new systems already you know, ruffling some feathers and apparently is coaching the guys too hard, whatever that means. And players are complaining about it for how pathetic that is. But I'm excited to see how Sam Howell does look because I think there is a chance he could be the answer in Washington. Like, there are a lot of good weapons right now on that commander's team. Right, Terry McLaurin's a really good wide receiver. Jahan Dotson, look, unbiased as a Penn State guy myself, really good draft pick last year and had a solid rookie year. Um, you have two good running backs. Like there are some legit weapons here on the Commanders team, where Howell's gonna ha- like he has the weapons he needs to succeed. It's not like he can't like you know he has no one around him and it's just like all right, be the hero here. He's got weapons. It's so I'm excited to see how he does play again. I know it's the Cardinals. I know they're not very good, so it's not like we can you know make drastic conclusions. But in terms of new quarterbacks now or first-time, full-time starting quarterbacks, Sam Howell is the one I'm very excited to see on uh, on Sunday how he plays. And on that note, too, Desmond Ritter is also in that category. Look, the Falcons have a – I mean, I don't know about sneaking next. I feel like a lot of people are starting to talk about it. But if you're unaware, don't really think about it too much. The Falcons have a lot of talent, a lot of young talent, too. Like Desmond Ritter, I, I would say, is in the same category as Sam Howell where there's a lot of talent on this team where if they struggle in 2023 – it's on them. No one else. Can't blame it on coaching. 
Can't blame it on lack of receivers or tight ends or running backs. It is strictly on them. If they can't play, they can't play. You can't blame it on scenarios around you. You can't blame it on bad coaching or no weapons. They got a lot of talent. And that's why I'm very excited to see how both in their first time as a starter. Again, I know Howell started one game last year and Ritter's last four. But now with expectations them being the first time uh, as like the full-time franchise quarterback, if you will. Real excited to see how they do handle it. All right, I got a tweet from Jeff Harner here. I want to ask Alex about it. Alex doing a tremendous job producing the show tonight. Jeff does tweet Alex at Ryan underscore Hickey in the number three. Also randomly, by the way, because we're not talking about movies today, uh, but did, did offer this. I'm also saying Roadhouse is the best movie to binge when you can't find a thing to watch. That and Christmas Vacation, period, end of story. If you're scrolling around on TV looking for something to watch on like a Saturday night, nothing's appealing to you, nothing's like, oh yeah, nothing's jumping out. Do you have a go-to fallback option? I've seen this movie a hundred times, but it still hits every time. Do you have like one of those fail-safe movies, shows that is impossible to fail? Yeah, I mean... Well, with shows, there uh, that's like that's just like I just rewatch my favorite show. Fair, okay. And so can, let's keep it movies. Then. Yeah, um, with movies, the the one that popped into my mind, I, I was also like, I, the it has to be a comedy for me. Same. Um, there's there's a few. Um, one that popped into my mind was Hitch. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's one. And then the one that like is number one now that I I I remembered while looking it up was My Cousin Vinny. I I, Ooh, I love that one. Back. That's yeah, a good one. Yeah, it's just it's just a classic. It's one because my parents also love it as well. So that's a one. That's a, that's like a family movie if we're just like all not doing anything. Um, have you ever seen The Birdcage? I have not. I'll be honest, Alex. You're talking to someone who's very uncultured. Okay, but you uh, you must be a Robin Williams fan. Uh oh. Come again, on, I'm Ryan. I, I'm not an anti fan. I just frankly ha- like I am really bad with movies and TV shows. I'm getting better at TV shows. Mm-hmm. Movies. I am 300 movies behind in terms of movies I should have seen by this point in my life at 30 that I've not seen yet. Okay, because like whenever people talk about Robin Williams, everyone talks about like. Good Morning Vietnam, Aladdin, you know, all the, uh, Jumanji. Do I, I'm going to really embarrass myself here, so please just cut me some slack. This is Doubtfire, come on. The movie I think of when it comes to Robin Williams, you're going to laugh. Oh, wait, can I guess? Sure. It's pathetic. Hook? No. Ah. What is it? Sky High. (laughs) No way. I love that movie. I've seen it, like, that's like, I, all the classics you are listing... I have not seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I told I, you, I'm uncultured. So, like, that's like, it's not, a, I'm not a Robin Williams fan. I just have not seen enough of his work. Oh, I, I always forget who the, um, he's a very famous actor, but he's the dad in Sky High. I, I always forget the actor's name. Also, I can't now, honestly. I just remember, I he, I know he's in it. I think he's the bus driver. I couldn't tell you another thing about that movie. Anyways, but I always, I always tell people like watch the Birdcage. This is best. It's his best film, in my opinion. But this has other class. But yeah, I would probably say my cousin Vinny. Okay, um, you are someone again of culture who has good references. I am not. Also, part of my problem is I definitely go back to the well and, and stay in my comfort zone and don't expand out and see movies that I'm not sure about. 
So I always just go, oh, you know what? Default, let's just see a movie you've seen already. Old, uh, old classic. Mine is Wedding Crashers. Okay, that's a good one. No matter yeah. what, like one of those, oh, nothing's on, what do we want? My girlfriend loves it too. Wedding Crashers. So many great one-liners in that. Mm. Little, I'll say a little long for my liking. The, it does kind of drag out. The Bradley Cooper seal. Yes. <laughs> oh. Like there are so many, so many good one-liners um, all throughout the movie that it's just like one of those, like you could just quote it for, for days. Yeah. Always one of those where no matter what, like oh, you can't find anything, that's the one I go to. I mean, if you love Owen Wilson, Vince Vaughn, you should watch, um, what was the one that the, the internship? Yes. Yeah. I've seen that. I have seen that. Yeah. Good movie. Yeah. That's a good one. Good movie. Um, so they were, okay. Look at that. See, we're, yeah. we're getting somewhere. Um, also another thing here, people, right. Usually would you say that for the most part, social media is more of a negative reputation than a good reputation. Or um, it's like people usually reference social media more in a negative I, way. I always view it as both. You know, like, I mean, like, to have connections, social media is such an easy way. Um, and it's also even, like, just to, like, get into, like, relationships as well. Um, but at the same time, you kind of, like, can't hide anything anymore with social media. That's true. And obviously a lot of, looks like, I think good can happen from you. You can promote your own platform, get a lot of information, be entertained. Also, write a lot of negative uh, negativity comes from it as well. This, though, is an example of technology and social media being used for good. Yeah. I want to give a shout-out to a Florida restaurant, Rick's on the River. They got uh, a lot of buzz now recently because Rick, or I guess really Ken Brackens is the owner, so it's named Rick's, but go figure. The manager's not named Rick. Anyway, they are. I guess they have a big dine-and-dash problem. Which I did uh -oh. not realize was a was an epidemic, I guess. But still, people are doing that for whatever reason. And how he's confront, uh, confronting it and fixing the problem is very simple. Someone skips out on the meal, grabs his phone, starts recording, records them walking out, records them in their car, gets their license plate, and posts it on like their website. And now it guilts people nine times out of ten, he claims, to come back and pay the bill. Smart. Or make up some BS excuse of, oh... I didn't realize I forgot to pay the bill. All right. I'll come in right now and, and you know, take my name or take my face off the wall. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, where, that's where social media can be used for good. Shame people into doing the right thing. Yeah. You're not, you're not impressed. No, I mean, it's smart because, like, first of all, I had no idea there was going to be so much dying dashing over there. Well, actually, I mean, it is Florida. I, I, I stand corrected. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, good idea. I also should not be surprised, but I, I mean, frankly, I am. At least in the article that here that I'm reading um, from the New York Post that's, that interviewed Ken and talked about his, um, his practices to combat um, dining and dashing, a lot of the cars that people get into that he follows are, of course, nice cars. Mercedes-Benzes, mm -hmm. Lexuses. It's like, I, I don't know. I guess maybe that's part of the reason why you're rich because you don't pay for anything. You just, you run out. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I cannot, I don't understand it. You know what I'm too afraid of? This is also part of a, part of a me issue. I'm too afraid of getting in trouble. Like I got, <laughs> no, I am same. too afraid of like getting caught where it's like, I would never dine and dash. Not just because like, I want to get a free meal because I would just be too afraid of, if I get caught, the embarrassment of having to go back and pay it and then have my face posted online. Yeah. That's just secondhand embarrassment for me. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's brutal. But hey, you know what? 
That is where social media comes out for good and is being used to at least save one restaurant. If you're a restaurant owner and you have a uh, a um, dining and dashing problem, there you go. Film them walking out, get the license plate, and post online. Post on your social media handles and shame them. Shame them into coming back and, of course, most times, remembering to pay the bill when they just conveniently forgot as they walked out uh, and kind of hurried out, by the way, too, uh, running out of the restaurant to uh, try to get a free meal. Okay, we do return here, Hick at Night, with your uh, on CBS Sports Radio, three at three, including Dak Prescott is getting a lot of flack this week. I'm going to defend Dak. The man who is obsessed with the number three. Three is a magic number. Uh, Trey, Trey Hickey. He, like, that's his self-given nickname. T-R-E-S is in three in Spanish. Gives you three thoughts, three opinions, three observations at 3 a.m. That's a magic number. Let's go inside the brain of Ryan Hickey at Ryan underscore Hickey. And the number three on Twitter. And see what's going on in there. It's time for three at three. If you are in the Central Time Zone, this is right up your alley here. 3.39 a.m. Central, three at three time. Three thoughts, mostly, mostly non-sports related, although there are a few sports undertones here in this uh, episode, or this edition, I should say, of three at three with yours truly, Ryan Hickey. Let's start with Dak Prescott, a man that, you know, fine, I don't really have to defend. I'm not a Dak defender at all, but he's getting a lot of flack this week because he got a massive tattoo. His entire right leg got a massive, massive sleeve. That's not what people are getting him him for. People are getting him on him because in order to get the massive leg sleeve, he went under anesthesia for 11 hours. I've never heard of that before. But you know what? A lot of people are criticizing and mocking Dak for not being tough enough. I think he's smart. I think he's very, very, very smart. You know what? Look, I don't have a tattoo. Alex, do you have a tattoo? No, he's shaking his head no. So maybe we're not the two best people to talk about this. But I have friends who've gotten tattoos. I know a lot of people have tattoos. If you have a tattoo, you know. It's not an easy process. It's not a quick process. Even the small tattoos take time. You got to detail it. You got to go over it again. You got to shade it. It's a multi-day, multi-hour process. If Dak Prescott's going to turn and transform his entire right leg, and from what I've seen, it's like, I mean, at least halfway up the thigh, down to like his ankle, and he's a tall guy, that's a lot of real estate to cover. If you were to do it the traditional way, sessions here and there, that's like weeks, maybe months at a time, hours at a time, a needle stabbing you. Or you could say, you know what? You go, you get knocked out for 11 hours. We do it all in one shot. I believe there was multiple tattoo artists. I I, I believe I read that somewhere. I mean, I'm just also guessing with that much work and that much detail to do it in 11 hours, it's not the work of one person. Not kind of one shot. That's smart. That's absolutely smart. Now, there's a lot of detail here. There's a Daffy Duck tattoo, him doing his signature touchdown 
celebration, which I don't really know. I mean, it's like him holding up the number one. Is that what Dak does? I couldn't even tell you. I've seen him score how many touchdowns. I didn't know he had a signature celebration. But he had a sign for like the mobile home park that he grew up in, which is really cool. Has tattoos commemorating Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, uh, Muhammad Ali. He has a moose on there, the Dallas skyline. It is really well done. It is very detailed. It looks sick. But my thing, Alex, is so even though he's knocked out for 11 hours and can't feel it, when he comes to, his leg has to be throbbing still. Like, that's not one where you wake up and your leg is fine and you're ready to go, right? Like, there's no way. No, it, he, it's going to be sore for a few days. Or maybe a couple. So I guess in a way he avoids, like, the 11 hours of pain. But it's not like he's totally out of the woods. Yeah, but I get what you're saying that, like, I'd rather just get it all, all out of the way in one go. Right. Yeah. Knock it out of one shot. Like, with the detail, have you seen the tattoos? I have. They, I mean, it is. there's a lot of detail. It's really well done. Yeah. That's not something that takes two minutes or two days. Like, that's something where you'd be going back for weeks and probably months on end to get done and get done precisely what you want. It's a lot of pain. That's a lot, a lot of pain um, to be uh, enduring while also trying to work out and trying to stay in shape. So I like the fact he got it done in one, one shot. If I was rich, honestly, and wanted an entire sleeve, I'd probably do the same thing. Uh, I am not rich right now, nor do I want an entire sleeve on my arm or leg. So I will pass uh, for at least going under anesthesia. But look, I don't know why people are making fun of him. It's smart. People are not, you know, calling him soft. Tattoos, I don't think, are about toughness. I think tattoos are about art. I'd say more than toughness. I don't think you're getting a tattoo to show you how tough you are. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that's just me. I guess I, some places. I've always wanted to get one, but I don't know. I, I I just, I might, maybe. I don't know. Like, I think Conor McGregor has a tattoo that goes down, like, his spine. That's tough. Because if you're getting a spine tattoo, oh, that's yeah, got to hurt. The tiger one or the lion? Yeah. I think it's on his back. No, yeah, the yeah. one you're talking about, right, the tiger's on his chest, which still got to hurt. That's his yeah. chest cavity, which... Yeah, that's you feel oh, that. That's I, I know which one you're talking about. It goes yeah, like the right down, down the, yeah. like the you know, that's gotta be very painful. Mm-hmm. On the ribs is a, a painful spot. Like, sure, I guess it's still toughness if you get tattoos there, but I don't think you're doing just to show. Oh, look at me! I've endured all this pain. I'm super tough. It's still probably more for the looks and the aesthetic. So again, I think if you can get the looks while minimizing the pain, here they say, right? Work smarter, not harder. All right, I gotta rely on you here, Alex, for number two because I don't get this. I am what the um, what the folks would call a casual tennis fan at best. Oh, a hit me with it. Um, I've I love the U.S. Open. I've gotten into it the last few years, so I watch as much U.S. Open coverage for the last two weeks as I can. Outside of that, watch a little bit of Wimbledon, a little bit of you know Australian Open and the French Open are nice, but especially the Australian Open because it's usually on when we're on now at this time. Right. Otherwise, don't watch a lot of tennis. What I don't get is this, and I heard it today during the um, Daniil Medvedev-Carlos Alcaraz match. Mm-hmm. Why do the, right, the chair umpire, I see the, that's yeah. the correct term. Why do they insist on the crowd being bipartisan? Why do they force, because I, you heard it on TV. It was mm-hmm. after Medvedev was trying to close out Alcaraz. He's up two sets to one mm-hmm. and has one more set to win and upset the number one seed. Yeah. He faulted on a serve like four times in a row. Yeah. Fault, 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 four. A lot of Alcaraz fans in the crowd. They start getting, you know, loud because, okay, this is an opening. Maybe now here Carlos can come back and, and make some noise and save, you know, save the match here. 
And the the chair umpire says, quiet, please remember, remember, please, you know, show love for both, you know, equal love for both players. Why is tennis the one sport where you are not allowed to choose a side? Oh, no, you are. But the umpire, like, that's their job. They have to say that. But look, every time I go to the U.S. Open, I always say this to anyone who goes there. The main thing, like, this is a... This was a, a rare occasion because not a lot of people love Medvedev. I personally do like him, but I do prefer Alcaraz. Alcaraz is kind of like the new up-and-coming kid. But every time I go there, there's going to be two people or two players that everyone's going to be rooting for. Either the American or the underdog. Mm-hmm. All the time. But the thing is, you have to have some sort of respect at the same time where it throws the player off. Because I, remember, I know what you're talking about. It was... Medvedev, it was a first serve, he faulted. And then in between the first and second serve, there's a bunch of Spaniards that's just going loud. Like, to me, like, I, I agree with what the umpire has to say because what if, like, there are Medvedev fans as well? Like, they, they want their player to win, and they, they're not going to interrupt, and they don't interrupt the Al- uh, when Alcaraz would do that as well. But I guess why is tennis, like, at the end of the day, it's sports or sports, right? Yeah. Why is tennis different in the sense that there's no the umpire in a baseball game or the referee at a football game is not gonna like even at a Super Bowl or neutral side of like a neutral side game gonna say hey please you know cheer equally for both sides it's like you choose your side and you root loudly why is tennis the one where they want you to like that's why I don't like it's just how it it's just how it's always been frankly it bothers me no I I I love it I absolutely uh, like the thing is too like it's it's because also, like, it's pretty similar to soccer. Not in terms of, like, the atmosphere. Just in terms of, like, the buildup. You know? Like, if, like, someone's about to, like, shoot and score at a goal. Like, there's that, like, moment of, like, oh, is it going in? Like, where the ball's just flying into the net or not. And then with tennis, like, there's, some adro- there's like, a drop shot. And then, like, everyone's holding their breath. And then it just, like, explodes. Like, that's what I love about tennis. So... I mean, I get what you're saying because, like, it's not the it's not like football or it's not like basketball where like everyone's cheering all the time and you have to like you can't not be neutral. But like that's what tennis is supposed to be, where it's supposed to be kind of like fifty fifty. And uh, honestly, like I I always try to root for the whenever I'm there, I always try to root for the player that's like not getting as much love, which is fine. Like that's like. There's no problem. Like you root for you want to. I just well like and, it, and like look your respect right. If you're if you're quiet when they serve, which I guess like golf, right? You gotta be quiet in the backswing and, and quiet when they're rallying or volleying. Like after the point is made, like what I just I guess what I don't get is like why like you have to sh- like why you have to in a way almost hide or temper your rooting interest if you like someone over another player. Like at Wimbledon. What bothered me a lot about that crowd at Wimbledon when it was the Djokovic-Alcaraz um, final mm-hmm. is when you have equal, like, when you have people that are cheering for both sides. Like, Alcaraz, nice shot. People are standing going crazy yeah. or, or cheering. Yeah. Great shot. Djokovic answers great shot. People, are, Same people are cheering. Like, maybe just, this is maybe a me problem. This is maybe why I'm not in tennis world. <laughs> like, pick a side. Like, if you want Alcaraz to win, you don't have to pretend like you are happy that Novak Djokovic just had a great serve. Oh, but uh, oh, you'll you'll quickly realize that there there are sides to it. But the problem is that the umpire they'll say it. 
it won't change anything. Like, I don't know if you if you remember that match when Wimbledon, a much more people wanted Alcaraz to win as well as tonight. And then I honestly, like, I don't get the hate that Medvedev and Djokovic get because like they're they're usually the ones that don't get enough love for the highest ranked players. So it's gonna be very interesting to see who's. I think that's gonna be the most 50-50 match because it's kind of like neutral there. A lot of hate for Paul yeah. but A lot of people prefer neither win, huh? <laughs> yeah. They wanted. They honestly, if you were to ask a, a U.S. Open watcher, you would probably say you probably ask them who you wanted to make the final. You probably they probably would have said Alcaraz and Shelton. I would agree with that. I'm sure. Also, Coco Goff now the female is going to get a lot of uh, oh yeah, lot of love. Yeah, tomorrow that's going to be like later 90 10 split. That's well. Hopefully, if that's the case. Hopefully, no one gets yelled at then for cheering too loudly for Coco Goff. That's that's all I ask, uh, Alex. That's all I ask, right? Please. Let the fans root for who they want to root for. That's all. Respectful, of course. Respectful. This is a gentleman's sport and a lady's sport, tennis. But, hey, nice shot. Don't have to pretend like if it's, if it's a person you don't want to win. Don't have to pretend like you're happy for them. That's all. That's all I ask. Finally, third thought here. I want to give a shout-out to Lara Griffith. 99.9% have no idea who that is. I never heard of her until this week. She is a British woman who I think is living life right, has the right mentality. So back in 2005, Lara won the British lottery. She won $2.2 million. And you know what she did with that $2.2 million in the span of eight years? Blew it all. All gone. $2.2 million in 2005. By 2013, nothing. Spend it, you know, what the first thing she did was she went on a vacation to Dubai. They bought a, a hair salon as associate investment. Her husband, like, I guess was like sort of into music. So they tried to have him like make a record. That didn't go really well. They bought cars, brought bags. Like they, they spent the money. They had a good time um, and enjoyed themselves. But why I'm giving her credit for and giving her a shout out is even though she blew $2.2 million in, in eight years and now has no money left. She has the right outlook. She's not a victim. This is her quote. It's become an overriding narrative that the lotto ruined my life. People kept saying I was stupid, pumped full of plastic surgery, and needed my kids taken away. But the fact is, I spent it wisely, and I had a great time. That's the attitude I think more people should have. Now, look, maybe you don't want to spend and blow $2.2 million right away and maybe invest it better, but... I respect the fact that, you know what, she lost the money and said, you know what, it sucks, but I had a great ride. Damn it, it was fun. And I regret nothing. Too many, this is maybe just a personal anecdote. There are too many people in this world, Alex, play the victim card. Woe is me. I can't believe this happened. How did I get so unlucky? Why does this only happen to me? First world problems. Right. Look, Lara's saying, I blew it. But you know what? No regrets. That's you know, she can lay her, her head on a pillow every night and sleep comfortably. That's, I think, the attitude more people should have. I agree. I respect that. Yeah. Hell of a ride. Imagine that. I'd love to find out how fast I can, I can blow through $2.2 million. <laughs> Which, honestly, I feel like eight years is, in a way, impressive. Like, like you if you really be... think about it, $2.2 million is not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Like, if you really think about like, it. Like, throughout your entire life, right. Like, like... Right. If you're not going to work at your quarter job and you're like, mm-hmm. you 
feel like could blow through $2.2 million relatively quickly if you don't watch what you're doing. So again, you don't want to blow through it in eight years. You want to obviously try to make it, you know, make your money, earn money. And I don't think you're exactly retiring off $2.2 million that you win. But at the same time, like, I feel like eight years going through it is not terrible. Not the worst thing. I feel like you can go through it a lot, a lot faster. That's just me. And that's part of the reason why I don't play the lottery is because I don't trust myself. All right, when we do return here, Hick at night. Big one in college football, Texas, Alabama. Look, you guys are giving too much credit to Alabama. Texas is winning this game. I'll tell you why when we do return. It's Ryan Hickey right here on CBS Sports Radio. 